you don't you don't warm up once uh, for a month of training. Um, you're, you're never going to see results, and you're probably going to get hurt. Any solid training program or any solid coaching, you have uh, an intentional warm up that you've designed to get your athletes prepared or yourself prepared for the heavy lifting or the intense training. And then similarly with our students, doing some sort of warm up or front loading really early on in a unit and then kind of forgetting about it for the rest of the time is not going to be effective. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast from Elevation Education that explores how we can help make an impact on our nation's highest growing student demographic, multilingual learners. I'm your host, Steve Sifronis. What are some ways mindfulness activities can help multilingual students succeed, and how can teachers get started using them successfully? How can educators proactively elevate the voices of their students while decreasing teacher talk time? How can we apply concepts from exercise and other training programs to academic language instruction? We discuss these questions and more in part two of our two-part series with inquiry-based science teacher Gina LaPay and language acquisition teacher Kent Dwyer. Gina and Kent are passionate about increasing teacher collaboration to help multilingual learners succeed. If you missed part one, you can go back and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our guests' full bios in our show notes or on the blog post that accompanies this episode at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. If you've already listened to part one, please enjoy part two of our conversation with Gina LaPay and Kent Dwyer. Last time we talked, you used an exercise analogy, Kent, that uh, to describe how students learn academic language. I think it's related to what you just said. Like you were just talking about how the teacher told me to do something, so I'm going to do it. And it's to take sort of the um, the barriers down. But then I think it kind of becomes muscle memory over time, and they just kind of begin to do things. But that requires sort of discipline. So um, I, I I love that exercise analogy. So could you just share it with us? Because I think it's really quite useful and connected to what you just said. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, Gina and I uh, coached together and we trained together. And, you know, I'm, I'm a middle-aged athlete at this point. So warm-ups are becoming more and more important for me. I, I can relate. Um, <laughs> you, don't, you don't warm up once uh, for a month of training. Um, you're, you're never going to see results and you're probably going to get hurt. So with any solid training program or any solid coaching, you have uh, an intentional warm-up that you've designed to get your athletes prepared or yourself prepared for the heavy lifting or the intense training. And even the the best coaches or the most informed trainers are doing that in a way that starts to blend that warm-up and, um, you know, prehab work into your actual physical progress. And then similarly with our students, doing some sort of warm up or front loading really early on in a unit and then kind of forgetting about it for the rest of the time is not going to be effective. Right. So embedding that as students walk in the door, they know the routines, particularly when uh, those routines happen across content areas, when they can just see what's displayed on the board or what's sitting on their desk or the, the dice that are on their table and they know what's expected without mm-hmm. too much instruction. 
they get right into that warm up and they start owning it, as you said. And that muscle memory is there and they just know language centers on us. We're going to start using these terms. I know the ways that I can get more support if I need more support. And they get into it and start that warm up. Yeah. And that reduces cognitive load. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of other analogies we get into in terms of scaling, but still getting the same results and building up to different things. So I, I thought that was great. Uh, Gina, anything to add there? I want to I want to get your take on this, but I also have another question for you because I think there's some specific stuff that I'm interested in chatting with you about as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think that's a great analogy to think about how to structure education, like long-term, short-term for your class, right? What are your big goals for training or what's your, what's your big competition at the end? And then how are you scaling up to get there? Um, I can't help, I guess, a little bit then put this in there so you haven't had the chance to talk about it. Um, just around this piece, this front-loading piece of using digital storytelling in my classroom, um, which was became kind of like a big unit launch component with a really immersive experience of loading a lot of vocabulary early on and but then able to use that as a touch point for those warm-ups throughout the unit um, I found that to be like a really transformative piece kind of bridging over from this language learning domain into a content classroom that really like changed the game for me in terms of how to get a lot of that vocabulary injected early on and then use these daily um, engagement strategies to get students to really acquire that vocabulary into their uh, working language. Yeah. And it sounds like that's based on the framework that we're, that we're talking about. And there's a lot of entry points and a lot of different, different ways to do it. Um, and, and, you know, so this like, is like the perfect comparisons here. Um, we're talking about, you know, mind and, and body here, right? We're talking about muscle memory. And so Gina, I know one piece that's important for you as supporting students' social emotional needs, which is something that I do not want to leave out of the conversation, especially um, now. Again, um, delightfully, there has been a spotlight shown on that as well as relationship building as a result of the pandemic. So perhaps a silver lining that we can work with moving forward. Could you talk with us about some strategies that you use and how they've been implemented to help students get to a place where they can achieve their highest aspirations? I know you mentioned some mindfulness and things like that. So what, what, what can we do to, to help with that? Yeah, well, I have the gift of a lot of autonomy around how I structure a class period. And I actually start every single class uh, with students sitting in a circle and we do some sort of structured check-in. So I have a few different sentence frames or a few different kind of check-ins we use um, every week so that students come to know the routine. Um, and those are not content related. Those are just like, how are you feeling today? What's the highlight of your week? Something you're looking forward to. And so every student shares something in that circle. And then we close the circle doing some dynamic mindfulness. So dynamic mindfulness uh, combines action and breathing to help you kind of get centered in your space and ready for whatever it is you're about to do. Um, so students take a few deep breaths. Usually I guide them to find a particular colored item or shape of an item to look at in the room. We take a few deep breaths together, do some motions linked with the breath, like you know breathing in and raising your arms above your head and breathing out bringing them back down. The goal being to get your breaths to be long and sustained and focused. And that takes just a, few, a couple minutes, if that. And then we'll transition into, into the main class session. Um, and I tell students that this is a tool for them to use, you know, in my classroom with me, but it's a tool for them to use in their life 
uh, and we talked a little bit kind of about the neuroscience behind telling your body that you're safe. You know, when you're stressed, your body switches into this fight or flight mode. If you're sitting down to a test, you're anxious. A lot of your thinking brain isn't accessible to you, but taking a few deep breaths, you know, re-engages that, tells your body that you're safe and then allows you to do the task that's in front of you. Um, so by embedding this into class every single day, um, I'm hopeful that students can take that tool, you know, to help them be successful in my class, but also as a tool that they can use in their life um, when they're, they're faced with stressful moments or need an opportunity to, to center themselves. Um, I hope that, I, th I think that I see that students come to know one another pretty well. And in those circles, I'm showing them that I care about them first, mm -hmm. right? I'm interested in them. I'm curious about them. I want to know what's going on in their lives. And that's where we're starting a class session from. And then the content and the science part comes after. Um, you know, in those circles, I've learned really intimate things about students that have really helped me to support them better. You know, students sharing that it's the anniversary of a parent's passing or students sharing something they're nervous about that's coming up later in the year or even just talking about tests that are happening. I always know all of the tests that are happening and all yeah, of yeah. the stressful assignments because students are sharing them in class. Um, so I'm better able to support them, but they're also able to hear from each other that these things are going on, right? So like Kent said, it's not just about me and them, it's about them together. And so how can they support each other, hear that other people are also anxious, hear what's going on for their peers and really come to be a, members of a community together. And with the breathing piece as well, again, just showing them that I care about them as people and here are tools that you can use to be successful that aren't, that aren't secret, that aren't fancy, but that really do make a difference. And, and Gina talked about it uh, earlier. Remember in, in our context, it is hyper stressful and hyper achievement focused. Um, we, we do a capstone project in fifth, eighth, and, and 12th grade. And this past year, we had um, multiple groups at the middle school level focusing on student stress levels, anxiety, depression, because they're, they're cognizant of their unhealthy status in, in a, an academic environment. So entering into a classroom like Gina's um, knowing that they're valued, having the chance to be heard, having the chance to talk about their emotions in a safe space, really kind of set the tone every day that we care about you first. Yeah, I have to ask this follow-up. I know we're, we're, we're getting to time here, but this is really important. And, you know, I, I'm assuming, first of all, and let, I, I'd love to know right away if I'm right, is this not something that's happening in lots of other classes, correct? No. Yeah. No. So that that's what I that was my assumption. And so I'm curious. I guess I have children of my own who are you know middle school age and and younger and and older. Um, and so I've seen you know the the um and and working with students as well in high school. How how does the how does this practice begin? What how do they react when they're like we're going to do these breathing exercises? We're going to have this circle. And I guess more importantly, like, how does it adapt over time? Does it become one of those routines that they're all just sort of comfortable doing, or at least they know they're going to do it? Do you have some students who are like, what is this? I don't know. And, and I mean, I'm just looking for kind of the reality of this, because 
I totally see the benefit and I'm definitely playing devil's advocate here. But since you're maybe the only one doing it that way, and it's not like built into the system, um, I'm just curious, how does that evolve over time? Yeah, that's a great question. The school I came from before, it was more built into the system. So that's where I came from with my practice. We had in my previous school, we had the closing circle every day in every classroom. So I knew sort of these things were happening for students in the day. When I came to my current school, I felt, I don't know, I felt unsure about how to create these spaces for students. We do have an advisory program where some of that's happening, but it felt really important to me that I was creating that space with students in my classroom. So I just decided this is how I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna stick with the circles I did before. I'm gonna stick with the check-ins I did before. And this is how it's going to go. Um, and I think I don't have any hesitation about it, which helps them. Um, I think also students just kind of come to know that if I'm asking them to do something and I'm giving you a why, we're all going to do it. Um, so, yeah. and I understand like what that looks like is really different in different contexts and it takes uh, a different set of tools and different students will need you to use a different tool at different times. Um, so in any, for any expectation, you can't just try the same thing over and over and expect it to work for every kid. So you're gonna have to be responsive. But I think the, at least in this context, some of that group accountability supports it. So there's enough kids who are like willing to do what the teacher is asking, that that can kind of help with the momentum. And then the kids who can't handle it, that takes those separate conversations. It takes any other kind of behavior management tool that you have. Um, so initially, it's just what we're doing because kids are nervous and they don't know what's going on and they're in sixth grade. So they're just going to kind of do it because they're nervous. And then as students kind of try to poke at the boundaries, right, like how much can I get away with in this time? It's just being consistent about like not very much, right? Like your only job in this moment is to be silent and take a few breaths. Yeah. That's your only job. And you're not going to take that opportunity away from anyone else in this room. So right. if you're going to, if you're not going to do the movement, I'll pick my battles on that one. I prefer that everyone do them. That's the goal, but day to day, probably not everyone's going to do them, but here's, here's the line that you're not going to cross. Right. And if you're having a hard time meeting that expectation, then that's going to be a separate conversation. Right. Right. Yeah, I love that. I, I, there, I mean, I don't know if there's a right answer to the question I asked, but that's the one that I was hoping I would just because you do that like accountability, like there's a scent, there's a lot, right? It's like anything else. Um, and yeah, I just think it's great. I don't really have anything else to add if people are interested to go back 30 seconds and listen again, because I thought that was, that was really, really well said. Um, Kat, you, you want to say something? Go ahead. I will say for, for like transfer for the listeners, like how's this going to work that in my context? Uh, I learned a lot from being in Gina's classrooms. And I took what I was seeing her do with her students into that advisory space. So if, if listeners have something like homeroom or advisory, that was my entry point. And I had uh, 12 eighth grade boys. So, I mean, you can imagine, you know- Easy, sharing, right? Sharing <laughs> wonderful kids, but like getting them to talk about feelings and yeah. highs and lows and, you know, so the, the structures and the frameworks I was getting from being in Gina's classroom, that was a great spot for me to start practicing it with those boys. And it works. I mean, incredible. Yeah, there's so, certainly plenty of, uh, of research and experience behind it so that we know it works. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad we spent more time on that than I expected, but I'm glad we did. Cause I think it's so important now. I, I, you know, there's so many of the, the students that listeners are working with that have experienced trauma, um, in, in lots of different ways. And I think in some ways now everyone is sort of a newcomer to school this year in one way or another, and everyone is experiencing some sort of, um, of change, right. Some significant change to kind of coming back to school. So it's something to think about as we move into the, the school year. All right. So as we wrap up, I, tr- I mean, I always say that this podcast isn't really like meant to be, you know, PD that you can sort of use right away. It's sort of meant to inspire you to think about the next steps that you can take. But I love to leave people with at least some ideas that they can kind of take the next step on. So what are two to three things that are relatively easy lifts that you would recommend um, teachers who are just getting started with this kind of collaborative work or anything that really we mentioned today, um, what are two, three things that they can get started with? Um, well, first shameless plug for our article. Not think, shameless. It was great. I think, uh, uh, the way that, uh, teachers might, might start it is with the general idea of, um, an understanding about who's doing most of the talking in a classroom. Um, and how to get that baseline data could be as simple as a student with a stopwatch, um, timing how much you're talking, or and then subtracting the total number of classroom minutes. Um, there are online tools, both paid and free, if a, if a teacher wants more uh, data and to go higher tech and to, to gauge who's doing the communication. But really just getting an understanding about who's talking in your classroom and for how long um, from, you know, a data, a data driven point of view. And then from there saying, how can I bump up the number of minutes students are talking and re- reduce my talk, particularly, um, one of the entry points I thought about was particularly with, uh, instructions about how to do things. Um, you know, students can observe and watch a model and build their understanding. And we know that most of our learners are not going to listen to five, seven, 10 minutes of instructions about how the game works or what to do in this activity or all the reading strategies you'd like them to use. So I think a a really easy entry point, especially with something they've already done before is really wordless instructions where the teacher or the teacher and a student partner model what's happening or you show a video of what's gonna happen with no sound and students just talk it out. And again, going back to, they talk about what they understand and what questions they have. And then that, you know, no opt out accountability that Gina mentioned before. Thumbs up, I have an understanding. Hand up, I have a question and everybody's doing one or the other. And then from there, students are saying what they understand about the activity, you paraphrase it. Thumbs up, I agree. Hand up, I have a question or something to add. Students build their understanding and then you get to the activity. And that right there just like flips engagement completely because the students are doing all the talking. You can assess how much they understand or where the the gaps are. And then you get right into it without you talking for seven minutes and three kids hanging on for that period of time. Yeah, I've been there. I've been down that road many times and it's, it, it's, it's, it's such a mindset shift is really mostly what it is. Um, I love the idea, Kent, of the, um, of the student timer. I love that because 
that's showing vulnerability and it's showing you care and it's showing, Hey, take this watch and tell me how much I'm talking because I'm concerned that I'm not, I mean, I think that's so, uh, so great it shows trust and, and, and vulnerability in the teacher there. Gina, yeah, anything then, to add? Yeah. I, just to say, I've used that tool before actually, uh, a facilitator at a PD I participated participated in used that tool. She actually gave a timer to a faculty member and set a time limit for herself for the, the PD. Um, and so I've used that in my classroom and I've set goals for myself for the week and then kept a, a running total on the board, which has also built some like anticipation with kids. If you're like getting up to your total and it's not the end of the week, kids get a little like anxious. Yeah, it's um, fun. It's fun. Or it's want to cool. see if you can like beat your time. Um, and then that puts some accountability on them, right? Like, oh, Miss LeVay's out of minutes. So we have to like figure out how to do this thing. Like she doesn't have any more time to talk. Um, and that I think again, like Ken said, kind of shifts the mindset in the room of like who is really in charge of this space? Whose voice is really the point of this space? Um, and it's not mine, right? It's not the teacher's, it's theirs. And so anything you can do to kind of elevate that, I think would be a great strategy for folks to try. Uh, in the article, we have a few like launch activities, like starting your class with student talk. And I think that can really also help to shift the tone of the classroom, right? If kids come in, they get themselves ready and then they're talking uh, using some pretty simple slides and pretty simple strategies. I think that can also really help make that kind of switch that will help with all these other things we've been talking about. Yeah, that's great. Those are, and that article, uh, as I said, Kent, that's not a shameless plug. That's how I learned about you. And there are some really great, um, there are some really great sort of print resources that you can use there. And we'll link to it in the show notes and in the blog post as well. So, so folks can access it. Um, great. All right. Well, as we wrap up here, I have two more questions for you. Um, one is I'd love for people to know how they can learn more aside from the article, which I'll link to about the work that you both are doing. Um, people are welcome to email me if they have questions or check out my, my Instagram account. Um, I'm sure those can be linked somewhere, but my Instagram is lapay underscore labs. Um, mostly, yeah, people can get what they want from it. I don't have a significant digital presence for what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, Gina talks about how that's an area of growth for us. And I, I love it. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, Kent.Dwyer is my Instagram account. Uh, if you go, you might think I'm a PE teacher because it's mainly pictures of me coaching uh, that my wife's taken during our sessions. Um, I love to coach, uh, so that's a fantastic thing, but maybe not interesting for your listeners. Um, but they can DM me or they can email me at kentdwyer13 at gmail.com, and I would be excited to add them to that share drive. And they can be added um, so that they can get into that index and, and kind of poke around in there and see what's helpful. And of course, if it's just this like blob and they say like, I don't really understand how this works, I would love to guide people through it if, if they want. Great. We well, really appreciate that. And though uh, that resource is, is very, very thorough. I've, I've uh, poked through it. And I think folks who are working with multilingual learners on a day-to-day -day basis will definitely find some value from it. Um, and Gina, thank you for providing your information as well. I think that, you know, that the work on, I mean, all of it, but the work on, on, on mindset and the muscle memory pieces and understanding the importance of warming up and being intentional about front loading, I mean, there's all kinds of valuable information here. And again, like going back to the beginning of our conversation, it comes back to 
the collaboration between teachers who are like-minded, but, or, and skilled in different areas, right. Who are working with one another. And I just think that's, that's the gold standard. And we get busy, we get in our silos, we get, you know, bogged down and all of a sudden three months have gone by and we haven't collaborated with anyone and haven't learned much. And so I think creating those systems is, is so crucially important. Um, so last question is that you all, I'm sure, uh, have been inspired by different things over the course of your career. So love to hear if there's a book or a film or really any other resource at all um, that has inspired you either personally or professionally that you'd like to share with listeners. Sure. Yeah, I can share two books, uh, both kind of professionally leaning. Uh, one is Onward by Christina Aguilar around building resilience and educators. Um, a lot of that text for folks who haven't read it comes back to really identifying your core values as an educator and moving in your life and in your classroom from those core values, which I think came up a number of times in our conversation, but really is what kept this collaboration thriving and helped us both to grow as educators and as friends in our context is really this alignment of those core values. And then the second one would be a text called Choice Words, uh, which is a book that really helped make some changes in how I, I use my voice in class in a really meaningful way. Great. I've heard of Onward, have not read it, but have not heard of Choice Words. That's a new one for me. So thanks. Really? Kent, how about you? Uh, well, I have to second the Choice Words one. Uh, Gina and I both independently picked that one and then saw that during our conversation that we, we both mentioned that one. Uh, it is for anyone who's in a classroom, um, particularly with language learners, but for anybody, uh, how we speak and how we get students to speak shapes the learning environment. So that's, that's a solid read. And then the, the next one that I would pick is uh, Fluency Through TPR Storytelling by Blaine Ray and Conti Seeley. Um, you might have like a little section, subsection of your listeners that are really into CI and storytelling as the vehicle for language acquisition. And uh, that, as Gina alluded to with the digital stories, that approach, that comprehensible input approach and that storytelling as learning approach has been really formative in the way I interact with language learners. And I just find it so fun. And you really get to see the, the kids light up with smiles and creativity and, and using language in, in the way that we're like naturally attuned to use it. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for that recommendation as well. Something I tinkered with a little bit as a language teacher, but never really like explored fully. I think if I had still been doing it, it's something that I probably would have done more of. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And um, and then it was onward um, and choice words, choice words times two. So I have to I have to put that on my list because I have not uh, I've not heard of that one, which doesn't happen frequently. Having 160 or so episodes now, it seems like I know most of the books that people are going to mention. It's always nice to get a new one. Um, and with that, uh, Kent and Gina, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure chatting with both of you. I really appreciate um, your perspective, um, appreciate all the work that you've done and that you continue to do. And clearly you're passionate about what you're doing and you're willing um, to, uh, to share your knowledge and your expertise, um, not only with folks in your schools, but also with random people who are listening to this podcast. So that, that shows a lot. So thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was great to, to have the chance to talk. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. 
where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.